Pickett played terribly against the 49ers. He was sacked five times, one of those resulting in his head going into the ground. He misfired all over creation. He misread receivers' routes. He mistimed his throws. Everything went wrong. So why? Why am I not worried about him? Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. It comes your way bright and early every weekday. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates in the same place that you found this. I spent the day yesterday at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex covering practice and then the locker room after that. And for what it's worth, I'm not playing concussion spotter either, but Kenny looked and seemed fine in all settings. Sounded fine, too, as he expressed a pretty sharp awareness of... What's wrong right now? The confidence in myself, the team, the guys around me. Um, you know, I know everyone's going to answer the bell. We're going to come out and play on Monday. So I uh, love the energy we have around here. love the practice that we had today. Um, everyone's putting their best foot forward this week. So it's just about you know, going out there Monday night, competing and winning. Yep. Beginning and end of analysis, right? Kenny might as well have just approached all of us and said, I stunk, we stunk, we need to not do that. No, we need to not stink Monday night. There really wasn't a whole heck of a lot to add. There wasn't a whole lot of elaboration on his part as a result. The loss of Deontay Johnson doesn't help anything. He could be out for as short as two weeks, for as long as four weeks, from what I heard there. Chuksakorafor is in the concussion protocol. You might see... Broderick Jones, who took some snaps at right tackle, get his first NFL start. Dan Moore, who didn't grade particularly well at left tackle, is going to have to find a way to bounce back. And his prior history in shutting down Miles Garrett won't be there to rescue him. He's still going to have to make that happen. The running game that's yet to get going is going to have to get going. And Matt Canada is going to have to come up with schemes that are a whole lot smarter than what he showed against San Francisco, a lot of which is now being exposed by football analysts across the country. All of that has to occur, but none of it, none of it is as important as Kenny just throwing the ball where it needs to go, when it needs to go. And I'll apologize in advance if this will come across as oversimplified, but I've seen too much of what this kid's done this summer with my own eyes to think that he's suddenly and magically regressed on some permanent basis into what we saw Sunday. I do see, hear, and read an awful lot of people citing broader statistics about Kenny's never thrown two touchdown passes in the same game. True. True. Needs to overcome that. I've seen references going back to his early starting period last season when he threw a bunch of interceptions before that was worked out of his system by telling him to throw into the 12th throw every time he didn't like what he saw. He did work through that. He became a better quarterback after that. There's also been some thought that 
Kenny was under duress on Sunday, and that's the reason that he had to... No, actually, he wasn't. He wasn't. There's no excuse-making to be had here. He had the same time from the snap of the football to the release of the football to move it as Brock Purdy did. He had 2.89 seconds. Purdy had 2.88 seconds. And yes, football data is that sophisticated now. The line wasn't great, but the line wasn't the reason that Kenny was bad. Kenny was the reason Kenny was bad. But if you go back over Kenny's history with Pitt, with the Steelers, especially over the past two calendar years, you're not going to find someone who had trouble with either of the two following facets. One, throwing the ball accurately. Two, happy feet. You saw them. You saw them on Sunday, all through the second half. It was like he was trying out for dancing with the stars or something. I don't think I'd ever seen that from him. What was it? What caused it? I don't know. I also don't really care. I don't need to be in his head. I don't think Mike Tomlin is wasting any effort right now trying to get in his head because Tomlin knows because he's seen what the default is. And it's not that. I don't count and I don't matter, but I've seen it too. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I have a hard time accepting that the one anomaly that occurred is now the new norm. It just doesn't add up for me. If you want a theory for me as to what happened with Kenny, and it's not more than that. It's not anything that I've talked with anybody about. It's not anything that's any kind of hint from him or whatever. But he did suggest after the game that the ambition of the offense was to go downfield that he saw targets that he knew he was supposed to hit downfield because they had approached this with an aggressive mindset. Well, the 49ers took away their teeth like that. They got the ball away early. They got down the field and they punched in touchdowns, two of them and a field goal early. They were up 17 to nothing. And just like that, there went the whole plan. But now Kenny's thinking to himself, I got to get us back in this. I got to get us back in this. We work too hard for this. I'm not going to. So he starts flinging where he had not been flinging for months. And it did not work out. Which would also explain why he and everyone else, including the head coach, kept referencing what they had hoped to achieve offensively and how that was all just stripped away within a matter of minutes. That's what I've got. And again, it's nothing more than a theory. And let's see how it plays out when we come back, J1Q. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our good friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located on Federal Street, directly across from PNC Park. Mike has more than 500 beers on tap, including from more than 50 local breweries. Stop in and say hello. Tell Mike we sent you. Mike's Beer Bar. The law firm of Edgar Snyder & Associates has joined forces with Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett to make a difference in the community. They're supporting Connecting Champions, a local charity that asks pediatric cancer patients, what's your passion, and connects them 
to mentors who give these young patients an identity outside of their diagnosis. You can learn more about what Edgar Snyder and Associates and Kenny Pickett are doing in the community by visiting edgarsnyder.com slash giving back. Again, that's edgarsnyder.com slash giving back. Today's J1Q comes from Jeff who says, DK, can you explain why we played so much soft zone? When we've been a press man defense for years, didn't we draft Joey Porter Jr. because we wanted to play press man defense? Where was he? Why did we play so far off coverage instead of jamming these receivers on the line and trying to disrupt their timing? The secondary and the scheme associated with the secondary was passive, and it was passive on purpose. All week long, the Steelers coaches and players in turn talked about tackling the catch, talked about how the 49ers are going to make their completions. What's important is that you don't allow them yards after the catch. Well, guess what happened? (laughs) Right. You saw it. The Steelers couldn't cover Brandon Ayuk, and that's not just Patrick Peterson. And believe it or not, one of the two touchdowns that Ayuk had was perfect coverage by Peterson. He was just open All game, including when the ball didn't come his way from Brock Purdy. Debo Samuel was open all game. These guys tend to do that. They found their space. Eventually, they'd get the football. And once they got the football, they did what they do as well or better than anyone else in the NFL. Remember, there's two teams out there. Now, could you have jammed them at the line? Yeah, Have other teams tried to do that with these guys, including George Kittle? Yeah. Do the 49ers make plays anyway? They sure do. So not everything is about your own team or your own scheme. That said, you're correct when you say that the Steelers have looked over recent months like a team that wants to build toward having that kind of secondary, specifically the corners. That's why you get a Joey Porter Jr. out of Penn State. He's described sometimes derisively by scouts as being handsy, meaning he can get himself into trouble with penalties, but he will not back off of you. He will not wait for you to do something. He's in your face. Corey Trice Jr., before his unfortunate injury, was looking like the kind of guy who's going to be more of a project, obviously, seventh-round pick. But he could have fit into that same mold. Tall, long, and again, very much aggressive. And if you can get two corners who can play that way, who can keep people from being effective off the line, or at least slow them down, get them off their beat, reduce their rhythm, That makes everybody's job that much easier. This is going to sound unrelated, but it's not. I had a few people send me correspondence after the game asking, where was Minka Fitzpatrick? What happened to Minka? He's supposed to be this and that and whatever else and didn't even hear his number called. You know why? Because Minka was put into a role. And this is, again, something that we talked about all summer long here where he's going to be a wild card. He's going to be that guy who goes after tipped balls and just reads and senses What's going to happen? Well, the Niners had no use for that. 
The Niners saw where Minka was, even when he would set himself up dead center, although he also did a lot of setting up to either side, and just said, whatever. We've got our targets. We're going to hit our targets, and we're going to let our playmakers make plays. They weren't worried about anything else. They have an accurate quarterback, which they do. They got him adequate time. And that was it. You know, before I sign off for the day, I don't want to make the 49ers a running theme here. Okay, no one's tuning in to hear daily shot of 49ers. But that was a really, really good team. I'm not offering this up as an excuse for anything. Both things can be true and are that the Niners were really good and the Steelers were really bad. The Steelers performed well below their own capabilities. If they had lost this game, let's say 27 to 24, or I don't know, maybe more of an AFC North type of score, 17 to 14, you could have left that game thinking that the 49ers were really good and that the Steelers are an up-and-coming thing. And what's disappointing about this is that second half, is that other part of the equation. Because I wasn't the only one who would have thought that the Steelers are a team that's on the rise, that's a team that was learning from simple, basic execution of plays through the summer and into that pristine preseason. But you had the worst of both worlds show up in this game. And you won't in the future. That's not suggesting that anybody takes the Browns lightly or the Ravens or the Raiders and everybody else that's coming up. But the 49ers, if they're not the class of the league, they're really close to it. They're top three easy in the NFL. Easy. Let's see if the Steelers can get back to being their best selves, their own best selves against teams that aren't the Niners. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Steelers. We're going to do one more of these tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.